Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. you ever thought about what would happen if God wrote you a letter? If God wrote you a letter, what it is that he would write? You know, most of the New Testament is, consists of letters that were written to different people, sometimes to churches like the church at Ephesus, that we get the book of Ephesians, or to the church at Galatia, that we get the Galatians. But sometimes it's written to individuals, like the letter to Titus, or two letters to Timothy, where God saw fit to work through a person to write a letter directly to another person. What would it look like if God wrote you a letter? Better yet, what if God wrote you a postcard? You know, in a postcard in a a literal, little, small space, to be able to communicate the things that are most important to you, if God could write you a postcard at this moment in time in your life, what would he write in your life? 
Well, beginning last week and for the next several weeks, we're looking at postcards that God has written. These small letters that have been written and, and preserved in Scripture as God wrote in a short space a message to people that would follow him. Last week, our college pastor, Kurt Sparkman, kicked off our series looking at the letter of Obadiah. We saw that one of the most important things that God can command for people who would follow him is to check our pride at the door. See, we all have this tendency to try to form God, as Kurt said, into our waffle maker. To try to fit God into our purposes and desires, which is ultimately pride. And what Obadiah says is, no, we ought to allow God to form us into his purposes and his will as we follow him. That's always the best thing for us. That was a postcard from God. We're going to see several more postcards from God in the next few weeks. This morning we're looking at the book of 2 John. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you brought your Bible this morning, flip to the book of 2 John. Now the thing with all of these books are, uh, the, the postcards from God is they're one chapter books in the Bible and they're going to be a real booger to find, especially a book like Obadiah. In fact, that's the dirty little secret of why it was that Kurt preached last week. Kurt was the only person in our staff meeting that could find the book of Obadiah. So he got to preach. Second John is a little easier to find than Obadiah. In fact, it's the fourth to the last book in the Bible. So if you go all the way to Revelation and start flipping backwards, you're going to find Second John in a hurry. Second John's written by the guy that was an apostle of Jesus Christ, somebody that was really close, a part of Jesus' inner circle. And in fact, when we first meet John, he, we meet him with his brother named James. And Jesus calls James and John together the sons of thunder. You picture these brawny men, manly men, that like to fight and like to brawl and like to stand for truth. But by the time we hear anything about John, he has a different nickname. We call him the disciple of love. Because something happened in John's life at some point in his life that got a hold of his heart and forever changed him. He would never be the same. So that when he wrote the Gospel of John, he won't even refer to himself by name. He just talks about himself as the Apostle Jesus loved. He was so profoundly changed by the fact that Jesus, the God of the universe, saw fit to die for him that he never got over it. And so most of the books, including Second John, that John wrote have a whole lot to do with love. That's what we're going to see today as we look at the book of 2 John. It's a short book. In fact, I'd encourage you at some point this week to just sit down and read through the book. It'll take you less than five minutes to read through the entire postcard that God writes to this woman and her children. Isn't that fitting that on Mother's Day we would study a postcard, a postcard from God that is addressed directly to a woman and her children? That's the way 2 John is. And in fact, it probably everything that John writes applies to a woman and her children. But probably what John's doing in the letter of 2 John is using a metaphor to talk about a specific church and the people that were members of that church. Which, if you think about it, is kind of a cool way to talk about the church, is it not? To use the illustration of a mom and her kids. We had several moms that stood up here this morning and dedicated themselves to nurturing and training those kids. These moms are not just in the business of making big families. They're dedicating themselves to training and nurturing their children, ultimately looking forward to a day that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks with Senior Sunday, where they will launch those kids into the world as different makers, 
hopefully keeping some of that value that they learned in the family with them wherever it is that they go. And isn't that what we're supposed to be about as a church? Not just creating a big family, but about stewarding the people and the lives that God sends to us to training and nurturing and developing so that week after week we can push people out of the nest and into a world where they can represent family values wherever it is that they find themselves. And then when we all get back together again, it's a great big celebration. So when John talks to these people and talks about a church as a mother and her children, it's really a neat example He writes to these people, and as you begin to read through this letter, it's pretty obvious what the main point of his letter is. In fact, in the first six verses, John uses the word love and truth five different times each. It's really clear that what John is talking about as he writes the letter of 2 John, John is talking about how to live in relationship in a place where love and truth coexist. If you've ever lived life in a relationship, you know sometimes that's tricky. We need to understand what it is that John's telling us today. If you've ever lived in a relationship, sometimes it feels like love and truth are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Give you an obvious example, guys. When your wife walks in from the closet and she stands in front of you and says, Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Every guy in the room if it does, feels as if he has a choice between love and truth. (laughs) Women, when your husband looks at you with those romantic eyes at the end of the weekend and he says to you, Honey, aren't weekends at the dear least just wonderful? In that moment, you feel like in order to pursue this relationship, love or truth has to come to an end, right? And what's true on an individual scale is also true on a much bigger scale on much more serious issues. When it comes to issues of truth, not just about dresses and dear leases, but truth on a bigger scale, on an eternal scale. And that's the kind of truth and the kind of love that John is writing to talk about. We get in these places, though, with eternal truth and eternal love where even we, as we move forward, feel like truth and love are in competition. For the last several weeks, we've been talking a lot about getting to know our neighbors. We've learned our neighbors' names. We've been moving sacrificially towards them, trying to meet needs that we have as a reflection of the needs that they have as a reflection of the God who loved us and met our need. And if you've been doing that, you know that there's these moments that happen as we're pursuing relationship with other people where we're loving them and pursuing their need and all of a sudden spiritual truth comes up. The question, why are you doing this, comes up. And we fear in that moment that if we're truthful about the fact that we're trying to reflect the love of a God who loved us and sacrificed to meet our greatest need, that it wouldn't be loving, it would be perceived as judgmental or condescending, or like we're just trying to recruit followers. We feel like we got to make a choice between speaking the truth with a capital T and loving with a capital L. But do we have to make that choice? That's what the book of 2 John is about. 
And John, as he writes this letter to a woman and her children or to people like you and I, John says, no, we don't have to make a choice at all. What we're going for is balance. But in order to understand John's point in 2 John, we've got to understand a principle, a really important principle about balance. See, it takes two things for something to balance. The first thing is a focal point or a fulcrum. It has to be something that's steady, something that's unmovable that we focus on. People that rock tightrope say you've got to fix a point, fix your eyes on a point that doesn't move so that as you move forward and seek to gain balance, you're focusing on something that doesn't change. If you think of a teeter-totter, you think of the fact that there's a focused point, we call it a fulcrum, that doesn't move, that allows both of the arms to be upheld so that balance can be achieved. You've got to have a focal point, you've got to have a fulcrum to have balance. The other thing you've got to have is even weight distribution. This is intuitive for all of us. Anybody that's ever been on the teeter-totter as a little kid, when the big kid comes running to hop on the teeter-totter, we run the other way because we know a principle about weight distribution that's about to send us flying into the sky. In order for things to balance, weight has to be distributed evenly. And it's those two principles of balance that John points to in the book, the letter, the postcard of 2 John. I want you to see what he says. Look at verses 1 to 3 of John, 2 John chapter uh, 1. There's only one chapter. Verses 1 to 3. John's writing and he says this, The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all those who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. The very first thing that John points to as he begins to talk about balance of truth with a capital T and love with a capital L is this focal point, this fulcrum. And he says to this lady and her children, I'm writing to you whom I love in the truth. And in the truth, I love you. And not just me, but everybody who loves the truth. And he points to that place where ultimate truth and ultimate love come together in a stable, fixed place that upholds the arms of faith, or I'm sorry, of truth and of love. Where is the place that true truth and true love come together? Where is the place, according to John, that grace and mercy and peace come together from God the Father through Jesus Christ? See, if we want to balance true truth and true love, it all comes together in the focal point of the cross. That's what John's saying to this lady. The cross provides the only way that I can love you in the truth. The cross provides the only truth with which I can love you. Because only in the cross do we find grace and peace and mercy to give to one another as we balance truth and love together. It's the place where truth and love come together. The cross is the focal point. It's the fulcrum where true truth, truth in an eternal sense, the truth that we were separated from God, meets true love. The sense that God so loved us, he sent his son that while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says he died for us. That's the focal point, the fulcrum on the arms, on which the arms of truth and love balance. 
But John goes on to remind us it's not just a matter of balancing, it's not just a matter of a focal point. You've got to have even weight distribution. As he writes to this church, he's writing to them because he's afraid that they don't have those things distributed accurately. Look at verses 4 to 6. John writes and says, It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. He says in verse 6, you want to talk about weight distribution of balancing truth and love. Look at verse 6. He says, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now what's another way to talk about obedience to his commands? Those things which are eternal. Those things that are, are lasting, that go on forever. He's talking about truth with a capital T. And so what John says to this woman and her children or to the church is he said, this is love that we walk in truth. And he says, and, and as you've heard from the beginning, truth, his command, is that you walk in love. And at first it seems like what John's doing is talking in circles. If you want to be truthful, you've got to be loving. You want to be loving, you've got to be truthful. But he's not talking in circles. He's given us a really important principle about balancing the two. And what John says as he's writing in 2 John chapter six, or verse 6 is he says that truth and love are codependent. You want to walk in love? Here's what it looks like to walk in love. Walk in truth. You want to walk in truth? Here's what it looks like. Walk in love. Truth and love are codependent. To say it another way, the only way for truth and love to balance is when they're both present at 100%. See, when we talk about truth and love in relationships, we tend to think about shaving things off and adjusting so that we can create balance. John's point is we don't have to create balance. If you're 100% loving, balance already exists because 100% truth is already there. You don't have to shave off truth to allow love to balance out. You don't have to shave off love to allow truth to balance out. If you are 100% loving, you will be 100% truthful. If you are 100% truthful with a capital T, you will be 100% loving. That's what love and truth command. They're codependent. And John writes to this woman and her children of the church and says, run 100% after love. And in running 100% after love, you're going to run 100% after truth. But he's writing this letter to this woman and children because there's a certain circumstance, a certain situation that's shown itself to these people. And he's nervous that this church, this woman and her children, are going to neglect the command, that they're going to teeter one way or the other. And you see as you read on through the book where he knows that that's going to go, he says there are deceivers that have gone out in the world. And he says there are people who deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. John knows that in his day there's a specific threat, a theological threat, that goes right to the heart of the gospel. Because see, if Jesus hasn't come in the flesh, then he's not 100% God and 100% man. And if he's not 100% God, he can't make an infinite payment for sin, and the gospel is untrue. 
If he is not 100% man, he can't pay the penalty that God demanded of man because he would pay in a different currency. And so to lie and to say that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh was a specific theological threat to the heart of the gospel. And John gets really graphic with the people. He says, if those people come into your place, if those people come knocking on your door who deny the truth about Jesus, don't let them into your house. Don't let them teach your people. Don't even give them a greeting. And he tells us why in verse 11. He says, if you give them a greeting, the one who encourages them shares in their wicked work. If you provide for their needs so that they can continue teaching a lie, that's not loving. And it's also not truthful. That kind of harsh graphic command and the balance of love and truth is hard for a lot of us. It's hard for one group because we look at that and we say, you know, that seems awfully mean of John. I mean, don't give them a greeting. Don't welcome them. Don't say on their way out the door, God bless you. It seems hard for us. And that's why it's helpful that John wrote his postcard to a woman and children. Because it makes the illustration easy. Moms, what would you think if you sent your little first grader to school and they came back and told you that the teacher was teaching them that the most fun place on the whole planet to play is in the middle of traffic? You sent your kid to first grade and they told your first grader that illicit drugs are the way that we grow up and become big people and they're fun to do. They told your child that if they really want to grow up and be a big boy, the way to do it is to look at pornography beginning in first grade. Would you invite that teacher into your home for extra tutoring of your child? Of course not. That's not loving. We don't send Mother's Day cards to that kind of mom. And John says on a much grander scale, if someone is teaching something that's not true about the person and work of Jesus, how could you say God bless you to their ministry? How could you encourage them? How could you provide for them? Because ultimately it's more destructive than playing in traffic. Truth and love are codependent. That's hard for a lot of us that seem like that's mean. There's another group of people who love this kind of passage. Because you feel like you got the spiritual gift of truth-telling. Your favorite thing in the world is to write letters to people confronting them about areas that they're not in accordance with the truth. I mean, you love to yell at people. You love to get in their face and point out the truth to them. You feel like you got the spiritual gift of truth-telling. But the truth is, you don't have the spiritual gift of truth-telling. You're just plain mean. And what John is saying to you is the truth is the place where truth and love come together. The truth comes together with the love in the place of the gospel that saw you as a person who was a sinner desperately in need of the mercy of God. You are no person to judge another. And the person whom you're confronting is a person that Jesus saw fit to die for as truth and as love balance on the focal point of the gospel, we can move forward in the tightrope of balancing truth with a capital T and love with a capital L in our own personal relationships. And as we move forward with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with whomever, the way to be 100% loving is to share 100% of the truth. 
And the way to be 100% truthful is to love in accordance with the way that Jesus has loved us when love and truth came together in the place of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ, the most loving thing I could possibly tell you this morning is that God sent his son Jesus to die for sin that you ought to pay for for all of eternity. But he did it because he loved you. And right where you sit, you can take the gift of eternal life in exchange for what you give God, eternal death. You can have eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. The most loving thing that I can do for you this morning is to beg you not to leave this place trusting yourself or anyone else, but trusting Jesus. And if you've got questions about what that looks like, I would love to visit with you afterwards. Please don't leave this place with questions. Our elders, the guys who lead the church, will be up here in a minute. They'll stay up here after the service with their wives. They would love to pray for you, to pray with you, or to answer any questions that you have because the most loving thing we could tell you as a church is that you need a Savior. For those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, the very best way to walk the tightrope of love and of truth is with a focus on the cross, knowing that the only way to be 100% loving is to bring 100% of the truth. And the only way to bring 100% of the truth is to focus on the ultimate meaning of love, and that's a Savior who died for us. Can we pray together? God, we have debates about small things all of the time. We try to confront truth when really the truth that we're confronting is something silly. We want to be people that are laser focused and save our bullets for talking about the gospel. We want to be people who are focused on Jesus Christ and who live lives that consistently balance 100% love with 100% truth. Lord, let us do that. Thank you, Lord, for our moms who in so many cases have illustrated this better than we ever could. We pray that they would be honored today. Lord, as we get ready to take an offering, we do this out of worship. Just as we've sung, just as we've heard your word taught and we plan to apply it, Lord, we want to reflect you in everything that we do this morning and part of that is being generous because you've been generous to us. So as we do that, we pray that we would reflect you by giving generously, that you would be honored through our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.